Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. Hello, welcome to this recording of a podcast for the National Stroke Education Center. I'm Jordan Bonomo, an emergency physician, neurointensivist, and stroke doctor here at the University of Cincinnati. And it is my pleasure to have my colleague and friend, Dr. Kyle Walsh, with us today. Dr. Walsh is an emergency physician, neurointensivist, stroke doctor, and researcher extraordinaire, and as far as I can tell, one of the world's experts on monocytes and stroke. We're excited to have him here today to talk about whether or not the clock is dead in stroke. Dr. Walsh, thank you so much for being here. Dr. Bonomo, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. It's great to have this time with you and, and to be able to talk about this topic. Recently had a, a report of the podcast where we talked about the standard of care and the amount of time that you have from the onset of stroke to actually provide therapies. And for so long, we based this on an actual clock. We assumed that that clock really mattered. It seems like imaging-based data may point to a different signal that perhaps the imaging tells us something that the clock doesn't. I'd go so far as to say the clock's dead and it's the reign of perfusion imaging, but I'm woefully biased against the clock. <laughs> Tell me if I'm right or wrong. So I would say the clock is maybe almost dead, you know, not quite dead yet, but uh, but definitely moving in that direction, I think. Even in the time that I've been involved with the stroke team, which is really for the last like five to seven years, there have been pretty significant advances with um, what we would call this extended window treatment, right? So in the past, we would treat with IV TPA just based on last known normal from four and a half hours, let's say, from last known normal. We would do thrombectomies for large vessel occlusion up to six hours from last known normal. And now both of those windows, both for IV TPA and thrombectomy, can be extended up to 24 hours, depending on the results of this you know, advanced imaging, which I discuss in my talks. So give me a, just a, a quick rundown on the imaging that you're talking about. So for our listeners who aren't super familiar with what we're talking about, tissue-based imaging, what are we talking about? Right. So the, the main modality that's oftentimes says, well, there's really two main modalities. The first is CT perfusion. So CT perfusion of the brain. And so that's a technique that uses IV contrast to basically look at the actual tissue perfusion. Um, so if you think about a normal CT showing kind of the brain parenchyma, a CT angiogram showing the large vessels, large blood vessels of the head and neck, and then the CT perfusion giving us an idea of the actual, as the name implies, perfusion of the blood, the flow of the blood through the brain. So we use that CT perfusion currently for large vessel occlusion strokes that could be potential treatment candidates in the 6 to 24 hour window from last known normal. As far as for extended window TPA, we're currently using MRI. And so in that case, we're looking at the mismatch between two sequences, the DWI sequence that shows acute ischemia, and then the flare sequence in which ischemic changes will typically show up later, like about six hours after the stroke. So we've got the option to use either MRI or CT perfusion. Sounds like CT perfusion, we're limiting to large vessel occlusions largely. MRI may be uh, usable in non-large vessel occlusion strokes. And with those two techniques, we're really identifying salvageable penumbra, right? I think that's the language that most exactly. of us are using. All right. So nowhere in there did I hear you mention a clock other than the total time, 6 to 24 hours. And I'm suspecting that's more research-based than it is clinical. Is there right. a reason to stop at 24 hours? So that's a good question. I would say that, you know, the, both of the, if we kind of think this is one of the major studies that have looked at using these extended windows, they've gone up to 16 hours or 24 hours. But clinically, we do certainly use our judgment with that regard. And I don't 
personally think that there's any clear reason that you know we need to stop at 24 hours. Now, of course, we always need to distinguish between personal opinion, clinical judgment versus what the studies specifically show. But I don't think that 24 hours is a is a clear hard cutoff. No, I don't know about you, but this totally fires me up for stroke care. When I was a, a, a wet behind the ears, junior stroke attending, the Italians published a super cool trial. It wasn't very many patients, maybe 60 to 80. And they looked at CT perfusion and gave TPA regardless of time from onset based on that perfusion imaging. And they said, it makes sense to us. That was interestingly right around the time that we were trying to understand CT perfusion better. So I think they got a little ahead of themselves perhaps at the time. But now that we understand perfusion imaging a little better, the signals are better, the imaging software is way better, it seems like we're doing a pretty good job of identifying these ischemic penumbras that are salvageable. Do you anticipate that we're going to need to do CT perfusion in all patients or MR perfusion or mismatch in all patients prior to giving lytics at some point in the future? Do you think that we'll still be able to rely at least clinically on the time since onset in standard patients, let's say in that three-hour window? Right. So up to the present time, uh, you know, to be clear, we have still been treating patients within those kind of original traditional windows, right, without any advanced imaging. So if a patient presents with a non-large vessel occlusion stroke within four and a half hours or that large vessel occlusion stroke within six hours of last known normal. And I think that's likely to continue. I mean, I think although we, we say, oh, the time clock isn't you know, as beneficial as maybe we used to think it, that it was. It still has its benefits with regard to kind of making sense that that tissue would become less likely to be salvageable and more likely to be permanently damaged over time. To answer your question, I think it's unlikely that we're going to start doing this advanced imaging for all patients, but I think that more consistently doing the advanced imaging in the extended window patients, potentially extending those windows further is something that that could happen. And I also think that the field could move in the direction of, as you kind of alluded to, uh, applying CT perfusion for both large vessel and small vessel strokes, as opposed to potentially only large vessel like we're doing currently. That's some, some pretty exciting stuff to think about because forever as a stroke physician, I've been waiting for the test that tells me it's really a stroke, not just my clinical judgment and the absence of blood on a CT. I've always felt that was a really difficult challenge when you have a patient with disabling deficits in front of you and you're looking for the absence of hemorrhage on CT, the presence of a neurologic deficit, and then using your best clinical judgment to determine that this is an ischemic event as opposed to something else. I've always wanted that biomarker or that image right. that tells me it's actually a stroke, kind of like a STEMI, right? We don't give lytics to patients with normal ECGs. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's been a bit scary and challenging. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say that uh, in your near future, um, you wind up running a stroke team in an emergency department somewhere and you get your choice the world's most advanced CT scanner or an MRI for this? Because you really want to be able to identify the patients who are salvageable. Where are you going? If I had to pick one, I would say the the CT with the CT perfusion. I think that's the direction that the field will go. The idea of being able to obtain this you know, hyperacute MRI is also very appealing, but the reality is with MRI, there are other barriers such as you know, having to go through a checklist to make sure that the patients are safe for the test um, would be one, and just the time required to actually perform an MRI. Although when you're only obtaining those two sequences that we need for the acute stroke MRI, it is faster than, you know, full brain MRI. I'd like to have both, but if I had to pick one, I'd say the, the CT. Well, I think you've convinced me that the clock is valuable for those patients who present pretty early, right? So if we're within early time window, we probably don't need advanced imaging all the time, but that there may be an opportunity to extend our thinking perfusion-based well beyond what we're doing even now. Exactly. Dr. Walsh, anything else to add? 
No, I think it's just a, you know, a very exciting field. Like I said, even in the relatively short time I've been part of the stroke team, there's been several advances and I uh, look forward to seeing what the future brings. It's been awesome having you on here. Thanks so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. And this concludes our recording of the National Stroke Education Center podcast with Dr. Kyle Walsh. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, M. Craig International, and MedEd on the go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.